How's everybody doing this morning? Doing well this morning? All right, I am too. I'm excited about today. I'm excited about next week. I'm just glad to be alive. Aren't you glad to be alive today? Praise God for another day of life. Looking forward to our theme next week. So I encourage you to come back. We won't push there, but we have a theme picked out for this year that God's laid upon our hearts. I believe you'll be surprised by it, encouraged, and even blessed by it, hopefully. But today, we're going to look back because it's important to remember what God has done. And sometimes we forget. Don't we forget what God has done? We're real good to jump onto the next thing and not take time to celebrate. But we're going to take a moment here and just take a look back and look at people over this past year who laced it up. A year ago, I came here and stood probably around the same place and said, we need to lace it up. Probably had a couple veins popping out and encouraging you to do so. But let's look back and just see how people laced it up over this past year. Take a look at this.
just a small snapshot of what God did through you. We couldn't do it. The church is the people, and we're grateful that you served. And so today, we're going to look at this race and, and evaluate how we've done over this past year. So grab your Bibles and turn to Hebrews chapter 12. If you need a Bible, ushers are up and working their way around. They'll put a Bible in your hand. Just hold your hand up. We have a Bible for you. If you don't own a Bible, take this Bible home. It's a gift from Grace Community Church. But turn to Hebrews chapter 12. And we're going to read verses 1 through 13. I ask you to stand with me as we read out loud God's word. Let's look at Hebrews chapter 12. If you find James, turn left, you're almost there. Hebrews chapter 12, and we're going to read verses 1 through 13. Would you read them with me? Ready? Read. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame. And sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners. 
so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you completely forgotten this word of encouragement that addresses you as a father addresses his son? It says, My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline, and do not lose heart when he rebukes you, because the Lord disciplines the one he loves, and he chastens everyone he accepts as his son. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his children. For what children are not disciplined by their father? If you are not disciplined, and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are not legitimate, not true sons and daughters at all. Moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the Father of spirits and live? They discipline us for a little while as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good, in order that we may share in His holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Therefore, strengthen your feeble arms and weak knees. Make level paths for your feet so that the lame may not be disabled, but rather healed. You may have a seat. As you can see, the Christian race will test your fortitude. Can I get one amen to that? It will test your fortitude. The way we enter this race is with Christ himself. When we become followers of Christ, we now enter this Christian race. And by the way, the original word in the Greek for race is the Greek word agon. It's where you and I get the English word agony. And so instead of saying, let's run this race, we can say, let's run this agony. Doesn't it feel that way sometimes? Doesn't feel like you just got pummeled and hit and knocked down and... Doesn't it feel like maybe you can't get back up? But this race is an agony marked out for us. And by the way, we can see from this text, and we'll see here in a few moments, that it's not for the faint of heart. And sometimes you have to remind yourselves of that reality. You have other things competing for your time. It's a race marked with adversity. And often the enemy will throw everything at you to trip you up. And let's just begin there. Imagine you and I signing up for a 5K or 10K or maybe you're running a marathon. And in our minds, when we think of race, we think we train, we buy the right shoes, we break them in, we put in the time to run this race. And then every so often there's a drink station and we drink some water. We're like, I can almost make it. But it's just the opposite here. It's like you're running this race, you're signing up for 10K. And along the way, little do you know, someone's going to come out of the crowd and just mow you over. Someone's going to come out of the crowd and knock your legs out from underneath you. Someone's going to come out of the crowd and turn the water table upside down. That's the Christian race. It's agony. And you know what? It's okay. Because at the end of this race and at the finish line stands the author, the perfecter, and finisher of the race. And his name is Jesus Christ. And he stands and says, come on, get back up. You can do it. Keep going. That's the picture of this race, this agony marked out for us. And by the way, when this was written in the context where this was written, these people were struggling and they were trying to get through and they had questions like, God, why is this happening to us? And God, why are we being persecuted? And they were often asking, Lord, we pray, but it doesn't seem like our prayers are making a difference. Ever feel that way? Same people, followers of Christ, feeling the same way. 
But the context through what this was written in the time period of this Greek culture, the author, inspired by the Holy Spirit, was most likely referring to a pentathlon. I want you to think about this for a second. Not just as we picture a marathon, 26.2 miles. Most likely it was a, a pentathlon, which, which is a five-event sporting match. And so in this, this, after they would run and maybe throw the javelin, you know, picture this. This is kind of the race that the author is talking about. As soon as you get done running a race, imagine Usain Bolt was the fastest man on planet Earth. Imagine him after running the, 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 the 100 meter race. It says in, the, in this pentathlon, they would put on leather gloves and they would get into a Greco-Roman boxing match. Imagine as soon as he got done, he just got an uppercut from an American or a French runner. Like, you might have beat me in the race, but bam! That's the picture of this race. Doesn't it feel that way sometimes? It's like, whoa, I don't know if I can handle that one, God. Like, wow, I wasn't expecting that. It's not water stations that you go, oh, hope you have a good race. It's not people cheering you on the side and saying, oh, such a great job. It's bam, bam, boom, boom, oh, and running. Doesn't it feel that way? And the reason it feels that way is because you just entered the race for Jesus Christ. But the good news is this. We have everything we need in Christ to run, to endure, to persevere, and to finish the race. That changes the context of this when you picture that. You see, the Christian walk is hard. And you might feel like you are in the ring with Rocky Balboa. But don't let your corner man throw in the white towel because Jesus has already won it for you. Don't give up. Don't give in. Don't ever give up. Why? Because God has charted out our race. It will be hard. And it will seem like you can't go on. But hear me out. Get back up in the power of the Holy Spirit and get moving again. It is worth finishing the race for Jesus. So he tries to encourage him, the author. He says, I know you feel like you can't make it. And I know it seems like your prayers aren't being answered. And I know like you feel like you just went through a season or a year of hardship. But I have some helps for you. And so he reminds these runners, us, and, and this group of Christians here, this is what you need to do in the midst of this agony. Consider the witnesses that have already laced them up. Look what it says in chapter 12 again. Look at the first word of chapter 12. It is the word what? What do you have? Therefore. You've heard me say this before, but it's worth repeating. Anytime you see a therefore at the beginning of a chapter, you have to say this. What is the therefore? Therefore. And the reason it's there is because something prior to that has just taken place that sets up the answer to what just took place. What just took place? Well, look at verse 32 of chapter 11. The author says, and what more shall I say? I don't have time to tell about Gideon or Barak or Samson or Jephthah, about David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, and gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of the flames, and escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength, and who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. 
Women received back their dead, raised to life again. There were others who were tortured, refusing to be released so that they might gain an even better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning. They were sawed in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains, living in caves and in holes in the ground. These were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised. Since God had planned something better for us so that only together with us would they be made perfect. And so the author says, therefore, because of these hardships, therefore, because of this Greco-Roman boxing match, therefore, because you just got layweighed in this race, therefore, because the tables were just turned upside down in your life, he says, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off how much? What's he say? Come on, come on. What's he say? Everything that hinders and the what that so easily entangles. What is it? The sin. And let us run with what? Perseverance. The agony marked out for us, fixing our eyes on who? Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame. You see, some saw God come through in their lifetime. And some of us will. But some never received earthly validation for their faith. And keep in mind, I am sure they all prayed the same prayers. So the author is saying this. You might not see what you've been longing to see and what you think you should see on this side of heaven. But one day you will see the finished product when we meet our, our creator in heaven. It is worth it to walk by faith and to be hit and to be hammered and to get back up. Some were sawed in two. And the text says that the world was not worthy of such believers. But don't give up. Don't give in. Get back up. We don't need earthly validation of our faith. God is still good. Amen? Okay, okay. Amen. You're going to say that tomorrow morning when you wake up? Oh! Or you going to say that when a healing doesn't come? Yeah, he's still good. Like, God, where are you? No. He is still good no matter what you face in this agony. Just keep running. Get back up. Just get back up. You see, these were people just like you and me. And many never got their questions answered. But they kept swinging in the ring because they knew the greater reward of heaven was about to come. Please hear me out. If you don't get anything else out of this message, hear me out with this. You might go the rest of your life with hardships and never get explanation from God. But that should not stop you from believing in our great God. Okay, I need you all. Amen? Amen. Talk to yourself instead of listen to yourself. You see, these Old Testament saints, the author is saying, are standing alongside of us and screaming as we are running. 
Keep going. It is worth it. Don't give up. Get back up. You might have just got knocked down and knocked down. Get back up. It is worth it. And that's what these saints are screaming. Why? Because Jesus is worth it. I can remember running my marathon and when I ran one in Cleveland. This was 10 years ago and I was getting near the end. Some of you heard the story and I was all cramped up and I had prepared and trained and run and my calves felt like they were going to explode and my hands were cramped up and there was, I'm just wondering, I hope I can finish this. And as I got near the end and I was coming near the end trying to make my time and you know how you train, you put all this in, your body does things to you you never thought it would do to you and, and it was doing things to me and I was like, I can't. and so as I'm, I'm focusing near the finish line and I just kind of went into this zone, I want to get done, I want to, and over to my right I could see these crazy, crazy browns, they're standing on the right. They had no idea what I was encountering, and I could, hear, I could hear Josh and Hannah and Isaiah just yelling, Run, Dad, run! <laughs> run, Dad, run! And I'm thinking, I am! <laughs> and then I saw Anne, she was standing there, she see what she said, Run, baby, run! <laughs> I am, baby! <laughs> but it was that picture that kept me going. And that's what the author is saying. Listen, there are Old Testament saints saying, run, keep running. It is worth it. It is more than worth it. But you know what? We must be ready for the enemy's assault on our lives, too, along the way. Because he doesn't want us to finish this race. But imagine if you can, running a 5K or 10K it's kind of the picture of this agony that we have marked out for us. Imagine if you can, not, the race not being lined with often people who are like, like I ran the Cleveland, they had bands along the way like every five miles and they were playing music for you. Like you come by there and it was Eye of the Tiger, you want to go. Cheering you on and water stations and Gatorades. But imagine, picture, this is the picture. As we run this race, the enemy sends his fans along the way. And they hold up signs as you're halfway through and says, and it says, Brown, what are you doing here? <laughs> you ever feel that way? Or, or Brown, you don't have what it takes. <laughs> Look at that runner. Look at his pace. Boy, he's lost a lot in the last 10 years. Why do you keep coming back? Can you imagine people standing along the side of the race like that? That's what the enemy does, doesn't he? He whispers in your ear, you're too old, you're too slow, you're not as good as you used to be, you'll never make it. So we have this battle, yet the author says, keep your eyes fixed on who, who, who? Jesus. And you will be hit, and you will have these voices, but don't give up, don't give in. Keep running the race. He fires distractions and coming after you, and he wants you to stop. In fact, the word usage here is important. The author says, throw off everything. And I say, what part of everything isn't everything? Throw it all off. And the sin that hinders you. So what does that mean? It means we need to do an inventory check of our lives. Who are the people in my life that really aren't good for me? And I need to find me some new friends. 
You've heard me say this, but it's worth repeating. Show me your friends and I'll show you your future. Who's pouring into your life? Who's speaking into your life? Who's keeping you accountable? Who, who's challenging you? Who's loving you? Who's caring for you? Who is giving into you and helping you to become the person God wants you to be? You might have to find yourself picking up a new routine, setting new goals. And the sin that so easily entangles, it says, get rid of that. Toss it off. And by the way, sometimes... More than that, the thing that keeps us from running the race is that we keep self-condemning ourselves. How many times, and Romans 8 says there, therefore there's no condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus. And I'd say, what part of no isn't no? No condemnation. See, we begin to believe the lies of the enemy, who, by the way, it says daily he goes before God in heaven. You know what he does? He accuses us. And what accuses, he reminds God of everything that Jim Brown did that week. <laughs> hey, God, you got Jim preaching this week at Grace Community Church. Can you believe he thought this and said that? <laughs> and you think he can deliver a word? And know what Jesus says? Cover by my blood, 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 cover by my blood. He keeps coming after us. And if we're not careful as we run this agony, these little voices along the way say, oh, I saw you last night. I saw you last week. You mean you're a Christian and you're running a race? You mean to tell me you think you belong here? Yes, I do, because the righteousness of Jesus is all over me. You see, that's the voices that we need to overcome. We want to condemn ourselves you see, we have a tendency to remember what we should forget and forget what we should remember. <laughs> Don't we, though? Why do we keep reminding ourselves of our faults? Why do we keep reminding ourselves of our sin? Because we believe the lies that we haven't been forgiven. And we need to stop listening to that. And we need to listen to the voice of Jesus, which says, forgiven, forgotten, move on. Forgiven, forgotten, move on. What do I mean by that? When we repent, God forgives. And when he forgives, he chooses not to remember. That means it's forgotten. By who? By him. And so when the enemy comes and wants to remind us, we can say, forgiven, forgotten, I'm moving on. Speak that to yourself this week. No self-condemnation. And he says, lay aside the distractions by keeping your eyes focused on Jesus. Not someone else, but Jesus. And then he says, run with perseverance the race marked out for you. Every time I see this word, I'm reminded of this encounter I had with a robin, a bird. Not Batman and Robin, but Robin. <laughs> it was last summer, and if you've ever been to our house, we have a porch out front, and we have some columns at the front of our porch. And if you were to walk to our porch, you would see there's a ceiling there, and the columns end about about eight inches from the top of the ceiling. And so I walked out one day out the front door. I was going to get the mail. And as I walked out, I noticed up on one of the columns that a robin had come in. It was in the spring. And it built a nest or started building a nest. I was like, well, you're not building a nest here. Because I know what happens. You know what happens, too, everywhere. And so I took that nest and just... <laughs> so much for you, robin. <laughs> Tossed it out in the yard went out and got the mail. It was a day later, a day or two later, uh, went out the front door again. I noticed, doggone it, that nest was back. <laughs> I kid you not. That bird had went and taken its time. It was persevering and began to build a nest again. So I thought, I'm not going to let any robin <laughs> win this. Seriously, come on, robin against me, come on. 
So I grabbed that thing and tossed it out in the yard again. I said, I'll play your game. So I threw it out and thinking, that he's done. You know, two times, he, this dumb Robin will get the word that, hey, don't mess with Jim's porch. Like, hey. Three or two or three days later, I went out, and I kid you not, that nest was back up in there. So this time, it's like, okay. Insanity is doing the same thing over and over again, expecting a different result. So I went in my garage in my shop, and I cut a two-by-four. thought, I'll cut it the length of the column that's there, and I'll put it on its edge, inch and a half edge, and I'll stand it up because that only leaves about that much space because I don't want it to be an eyesore either so that bird can't build a nest. So I put it up there and done. Three, four, five days later, I was walking out, wasn't even thinking about it, looked up. I kid you not, that bird built a nest right on top of that two-by-four. <laughs> and I had already put two-by-fours the whole way on the other four columns over in the front of our porch, and it was like it was just... <laughs> persevering, persevering. So, come on. Robin, you're not going to outdo me. So I went in my garage, and I cut a two-by-eight. <laughs> Hammered it in there <laughs> and shut it off. But every time I think about that and this, run the race with perseverance. Is don't give up. Don't ever give up. Keep running like that Robin kept building. And when you fall down, when adversity comes, and when someone comes out of the crowd and upsets the water table and pummels you and puts on the Greco-Roman boxing gloves and punches and knocks you cold, get back up. Run this race with perseverance marked out for you. You see, the reason we can is because Jesus has more invested in your life than you do. Sometimes we lose sight of this in this race. We think, it's all oh, me. Boy, I hope I can get to it. <laughs> you ever feel like that way if you run a race? <laughs> no, he's running with you. He's charted out your path. He is your strength. He is your rock. In fact, he's invested more in you. If you've ever purchased a home, they had this thing called earnest money that you put down. Earnest money is money that you put down, and you're saying to the owner, I'm very vested or invested in this home. I want you to know that I want to buy this house. And the more money you put down as earnest money, it's telling that, that owner of that home is, sell it to me. Because I really want this. It's, it's an investment. And the truth is, that's what Christ has done for us. The cross reminds us that he's invested in us. He shed his blood. He really wants us. Amen? We need to be reminded of that. And so if he wants us and he's invested in us, guess what? He's going to help us run this race. See, the cross shows us how committed he was to us. And the resurrection shows us that he is able to see us through to victory. Amen to that? So even if it feels like you are getting the snot beat out of you and the Greco-Roman boxer is pounding your head, keep your eyes on Jesus. He's already won the battle for you. You see, we have to remind ourselves it's not over. Whew. I don't know if I can take another hit like that. Boy, that was even a, I got concussed with that one. Holy cow. Get back up. 
Fix your eyes on Jesus, the pioneer, the author, the perfecter, the finisher of our faith, and let the saints of the past cheer you on and listen to them as they say, it is worth it. Run. And then we have to be reminded of this because this is our nature. Run your race and not someone else's race. Guilty? Yeah, but Pastor Jim, like, I want a marriage like that one, and I want to be beautiful like she is, and I want to be as fast as them. I want to own that, and I want to go there, and I want to purchase that. And listen, stay in your lane. What happens if you begin to try to get in someone else's lane or you're looking back and you're running this race? If you keep watching what all they have in their race and you feel like somehow you got to get in their lane, you're going to get tripped up. Instead of looking back, look forward and run your race. Here's what I mean by this. God has a lane just for you and just for me. He has blazed a trail just for you and just for me. Your husband's isn't the same lane as his wife's. Your wife's, your lane isn't the same as your husband's. Mom and dad's, your same isn't the kids. And some often, yes, God knows exactly what path you are to run on. He knows exactly, he's charted it out. So run your race. You see, before the foundation of the world, he created a blueprint for you and you only. And one of the quickest ways to let discouragement enter your mind is trying to do what someone else is doing or to compare your accomplishments to them. You probably never struggle with that. (laughs) That's sarcasm at its finest. We're wired to compete. But remember what you're called to do. And it happens all the time, especially in a world of technology. Especially even just races. How many of you love to race and what do you do? If you find out someone's running a race, what do you You go to the website. Hey, what was your bib number? <laughs> and why do you go there? You want to see how fast they did it? To see how far behind you are? Who cares about someone else's race? Stay in your lane and run your race. And by the way, we're all prone to do this. Even writers of the Bible... Oh, come on, Pastor Jim. What are you talking? Yeah, they were human beings too. Look at John chapter 20. And let me just show you. Turn to John chapter 20. John is written by John, disciple of Jesus, inspired by the Holy Spirit, that Peter tells us, carried by the Holy Spirit, carried along by the Holy Spirit to write. And in John chapter 20, I want to show you the author John and how he, he, he was constantly comparing himself even to Peter. Look at John 20 and verse 1. It says, Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. This is John writing, carried on, led by the Holy Spirit. So she came running to who? What's your Bible say? Simon Peter and the other disciple. Like he speaks in himself in third person, which tears me up. You ever hear someone talk to himself in third person, like self-brag? Yeah, that guy was pretty good. And he's saying, look, the other disciple, which is John, the one that Jesus what? Don't you love that he writes that about himself? And by the way, Pete, this one's so you know, I'm the one that Jesus loved. Look on. 
and said, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they have put him. So Peter, John's writing this inspired by the Holy Spirit, and the other disciple, come on, quit talking third person, started for the tomb. And it says in verse four, he didn't have to put this, but he put both were what? But the other disciple did what? What's it say? What's he doing? Self-brag. I beat Pete, in case you didn't know, I'm putting it in scripturated in the Bible forever. You can check the website. Here's my bib number, number one. And it says this. He bent over and looked in the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter came along. What does he say? Just so you, in case you forgot, he was behind me. He's comparing himself. And it says, he saw the strips of linen lying there as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple had reached the tomb, also went inside. He saw and believed. Move on. He doesn't stop there. He, he, he talks. He, he's constantly comparing. Look at chapter 21. This is when they had the miraculous catch of fish. They couldn't catch any. And Jesus says, hey, drop your nets on this side. So they dropped their nets. And it says this in verse 5. He called out to them, friends, Jesus says. Haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. And when they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Look what it says. Then the disciple whom Jesus, what? (laughs) Said to Peter, it is the Lord. Like, I saw it first. As soon as Simon Peter heard him, it is the Lord. He wrapped his outer garment. He jumps in the water. And by the way, look what he says in verse 8. The other disciples, including himself, followed in the boat. Towing the net full of fish. In other words, he got out and we worked hard. Do you see what's happening? He's even comparing himself. So Peter turns the table on him. Peter, who denies Christ three times, and Jesus keeps coming back to him, feed my sheep, feed my sheep, feed my sheep, feed my sheep. Verse 17, the third time he said to him, said to Jesus, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, Do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know what I, that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. (coughs) Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went out where you wanted. But when you're old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you did not want to go. Jesus said to syndicate the kind of death by which Peter will glorify God. And then he said to him, follow me. Now look what it says in verse 20. Peter turned and saw that the disciple whom Jesus loved, just in case you forgot, was following them. This was the one who had leaned back, look at it, against Jesus at the supper and table and said, Lord, who is going to betray you? He even says, you remember, I did this. I knew it wasn't going to be me. Who's going to betray you? Peter is. And then it says this in verse 21. When Peter saw him, he asked, Lord, what's he say? What about who? Him. Pete's saying, what about John? I'm sure he's done something too. We are wired to compete. We have to be careful. You see, looking back will trip you up. Part of the problem is that we keep searching for approval from man. 
if I can do it better or I'm the smartest, then I must have won the race. Please, stop searching. Stop looking back and comparing. Quit trying to measure up to someone else. Too many people are searching for that thing, that feeling, that accomplishment, that pat on the back, that status, that bank account, that relationship that is bigger, faster, smarter than someone else. Jesus' approval is all you need. You will never fill someone else's shoes. Nor should you have to, nor should you try to. Your race is not the same as the guy or gal sitting next to you. Run your race. Stay in your lane. Amen? So, but we have to train in order to run in this race. See, that's the difficult part. Sure, Jesus is there. Sure, we have brothers and sisters from the past who cheer us on. But in order to run the race the way that God wants us to run the race, we should run in such a way as to run to win the race. Oh, no, we shouldn't be competitive. No, no, who cares? Everyone gets a participation trophy. Here, you can have one too. No, we should run to win the race. How do I know that? Well, it's biblical. <laughs> and Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, I love this, this version of it in 1 Corinthians 9, 24 to 27. Just listen to this version. This is 1 Corinthians 9, 24 to 27. It says, you've all been to the stadium and seen the athletes race. Everyone runs. One wins. Run to win. All good athletes train hard. They do it for a gold medal that tarnishes and fades. You're after one that's gold eternally. I don't know about you, but I'm running hard for the finish line. I'm giving it everything I got. No sloppy living for me. I'm staying alert and in top condition. I'm not going to get caught napping, telling everyone else all about it, and then missing out for myself. Run to win the race. So how do you do that? Jesus, did he, did he give everything he had? Did he train? Did Jesus train? He was Jesus. Yes, he did. Turn to Luke 2.52. Don't turn there later. Write it down. It says Jesus grew in wisdom. Jesus grew intellectually. Jesus grew in stature. Jesus grew in physical health. Jesus grew in his relationship with God. He grew devotionally and spiritually. And Jesus grew in his relationships with others. Jesus grew relationally. You want to know how you can set some goals? Set them intellectually. I'm going to learn. I'm going to be a lifelong learner. Why do you learn so you can teach someone else? I'm going to grow physically. I'm going to set some goals. Why would I want to do that? Because the living God lives in us it would be a sad day if we stood before God one day and he says this is how I wanted to use you but you rendered yourself ineffective because of these poor health choices you made Jesus grew in his relationship spiritually and with others relationally we are in it together so encourage help get accountability pour into and so Jesus was training himself in fact, look how the author talks about it in Hebrews chapter 12. Look at verse 11. 
Here's a verse that's very familiar to those who have been in Fight Club. We've memorized this in a few chapters. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. It's a metaphor that the author is using here. In fact, the word train that's in this verse 11 is the Greek word. Think about this for a second. It's the Greek word gymnazo. It's where we get gymnasium. And so literally, it's God being our coach. God is working as the coach in our lives. The way you grow a muscle is by breaking it down. If you listen to someone who is a trainer, they would say in order for a bicep to get stronger, what do you do? You put stress on it. You curl. You, you, you press. And you push, push, push until it's sore. But then you let it recover. Stress isn't intrinsically bad for us, but we need recovery systems to make us strong. And so we're going to have stress, so we train. The coach says, I'm going to allow these things to come into your life. It's the same with God. The muscle of your faith will never grow if it's not tested and broken down. We often don't like the coach's plan, but here's the promise we know from God. What's he say? He works all things out for what? Good for those that love him. You see, the pain you're experiencing now is God's good plan in your life to mold you into the image and to increase your faith. God is tearing you down in your strength so he can rebuild you up in his. See, if we get that flip-flopped, then we just do our thing. And we don't run the race that God has marked out. For us. See, God allows these difficult challenges to come our way in life. These obstacles. Why? So that we grow from them. If you've ever run a Spartan race, or if you've ever been in a Tough Mudder race, I have. It's not just like running a straight line race. What do you have along? You've got obstacles. You've got ropes to climb and javelins to throw. You have obstacles along the way. And the reason they're there, they make you stronger. I remember when I ran the Tough Mudder in Attica. It was 36 degrees outside. It was in November. And we had trained as a staff here. We all went to run this race together. And we had put our early morning workouts in. We were ready. And the day we showed up, it was 36 degrees. It was cold. And there was one place in this, at Attica where you had to climb up this ladder, a 20-foot ladder, and you got to this plank area up above, a platform area, and then you would run and jump out into this literal quarry, natural quarry, which was like 100 feet deep. And so by this time, it was like the 15th obstacle that was there, and I'm running this race saying, man, I'm freezing. But I wanted to finish this race, and I remember jumping out and just jumping out into the middle of this quarry, and as, as I was plummeting to the bottom, it felt like, I, th- I thought, seriously, I was thinking, I'm going to die. I'm going to die. I'm going to die. And I prayed seven times for my salvation before I got back to the top. Just kidding. When I got out of the water, I had to swim to the edge. I didn't think I was going to make it. My fingers were blue. My lips were blue. But it, that's the picture. Sometimes it's hard, isn't it? But you know what happened as a result of that? I got stronger. And if we're really honest, the hardest things in our lives and relationship, whether it's physical, relational, or spiritual, 
when we get to the other end and we fix our eyes on Jesus and rely on his strength, wouldn't we all say, I'm stronger because of it? That's what the coach, the gymnasio, gymnasium trainer is doing for us. The second metaphor for discipline is found in verse 5. It's a different usage of the word. If you look in the original, you'll see it. Verse 5. It says this, and have you completely forgotten this word of encouragement that addresses you as a father addresses his son? It says, my son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you because the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastens everyone he accepts as his son. It's the picture of God as a parent disciplining us. Now think through this. When we discipline our children, we're not trying to avenge the wrong they did. And if you are, you got it backwards. We're not saying, I'm disciplining you because you've done this wrong. What you're doing is done in love. Your goal is not retribution. It is building the character of your child. Jesus already paid the punishment for our sin on the cross. Amen? He is not demanding two punishments for the same sin. His blood was shed for all of our sin, and his blood is enough for it. God is never paying you back for the sin in the hardships of your life. I hear people say this, I just feel cursed. I feel like God's paying me back for all the sin I've done. Listen to me. Everything has already been paid at the cross. Jesus took all the punishment already. See, let me give you a practical example. If you don't believe that, it's like you have an electric bill. And it comes to your name somehow. You're, you have husband, wife, and children, and you get an electric bill. And, and our house comes, it's Jim Brown, Jim Brown. Nipsco says, you owe $134 this month. So I pay it, $134. Well, then they send one to Ann. Ann, you owe $134. I'm like, we don't need to pay twice. I already paid for it. We already, why would I pay twice? You see, some of us think like, that somehow God is paying us getting us back for the sin, punishing us. Every ounce of his blood was enough and he took all the punishment already. Come on, amen? See, we gotta get this one down because we're not good at this one. He's not demanding two punishments for the same sin. God is never paying you back. You see, Jesus absorbed the entire curse for you and me. He took all the judgment, all the punishment. Nothing is left for us, hear me out, but his mercy and grace. Amen? Man, when we get that down, we're free to be forgiven, forgotten, and move on. But we're so good at self-condemning ourselves. Oh, he must be paying me back because I did this last night and I repented of it, but, but, but he's going to punish me for that. No, he already has been punished through his son, Jesus Christ. Let me define some terms which I think are important. Punishment and judgment. Punishment and judgment means you are being paid back for the wrong you've done. You must pay. Discipline defined is this. This is a loving attempt to build character. It probably comes with pain, but the goal is not retribution. It's a formation of character. That's what God does. He disciplines us. 
However, there are consequences for our sin. Consequences are the natural results from bad, sinful decisions. Wow, we had sex before marriage. She got pregnant. That's a consequence of a bad decision before marriage. You see, believers suffer consequences for their sin, and sometimes, hear me out, God uses those consequences to discipline them, but they never fully suffer punishment because Jesus was punished fully in our place. God is molding your character in love, but not punishing you in judgment. Otherwise, if we believe that we need to be punished for sin, then our God is an unjust God. Let me close by encouraging you in this race. Why does the author tell us to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus? This is so good. Like, you'll want to read this tonight, tomorrow morning, this afternoon. In fact, you might want to memorize this. Look at verse 2, 12-2. It says this. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith, for the what set before him. What's the word? Come on, help me over here. I want you, I want you to look. You got to look. What's it say? What's it say? For the what? Joy set before him. He endured the what? What's your Bible say? Cross. Come on, look at yourselves. Scorning, it's what? By the way, the word scorning means to make light of. Are you kidding me? And sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. And then it says, listen, grace community, consider him who endured such opposition. What held Jesus to the cross? Just think about this. The nails? No. What held him to the cross was the joy set before him. Let me ask you this question. What was the one thing he would have after the cross that he didn't have before the cross? What was the one thing that Jesus had after the cross that he didn't have before the cross? You and me. So think about this. He was doing this to save us. You and I are his joy set before him. Woo, huh? You are loved so much. Now think about this. So the author says, look to Jesus because he is the one who gave his life for you and suffered for you. So I ask you, what did he have, didn't have before the cross that he had after the cross? I said us. And you say, well, you're talking about Pastor Jim. How does he have us? Because of what he did on the cross, we now can have relationship with him. Prior to the cross, there was no way we could be saved. And so for the joy set before him and the cross, you and me, he died to save us. So what's that mean? So run this race with joy. The joy set before you and me is who? Jesus. Run the race for Jesus. Don't run the race for the person beside you and this person beside you. Run it for Jesus. For the joy set before me and the joy set before me is who? Jesus. Oh, come on. Doesn't that encourage you? That's why he gave us life. We were his joy. 
Woo! That didn't get you out of bed in the morning. I don't know what would. Either you're not alive right now if you don't enjoy that. So let me ask you a question. How'd you do this year? Did you lace them up? Or are you in the same place that you were a year ago? Well, the good news is this. You might have got pummeled. And you might have got jacked up this year. Get back up. And focus on Jesus. Next week, we'll bring our new theme out. But we'd love for you to take time this afternoon and look over this past year at some fun things that God did this year. And if you're a member here today, we have some reports for you from our pastors. Our pastors report at the info center. Make sure you grab them. Jesus, for the joy set before you, we get back up. And for the joy of what you endured the cross for us, we run with perseverance. And we run and we run and we run until you call us home or you come back to take us home. We love you, Jesus. In Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. God bless you. Come back next week.